How's everybody doing? Good, good. Glad to hear it. I'll start uh, kind of on a personal note. It will, I won't rant for 15 minutes like I did two weeks ago. But uh, but just a personal note, my grandma had uh, heart surgery. And uh, two things there. First of all, she's coming home this morning. That's why uh, my family is not here today. And so uh, thank you for your prayers. It's crazy. She looked like a dead woman when she came out and they, they wanted her standing up by the end of the day. And they acted like that was totally normal. And I'm thinking, well, let the woman lay there for crying out loud. Uh, so it's crazy. But on that on that note, spent a ton of time in the hospital and uh, not nearly as productive as a week. But but as I was in the hospital, I was thinking, I need to work on a sermon. I need to work on a sermon. It's Palm Sunday. And I need to work on a sermon. This thought came to me that I really, really appreciated. Uh, I, I have a church that... That, that's praying for my grandma, first of all. And second of all, if I came and I had a horrible sermon prepared, they would be happy that I chose to spend time uh, with my family through those moments. And so, very thankful for this church. Uh, I did have time to prepare a sermon, thankfully. But but I just want to say thank you and that I, I really like our church. Typical Palm Sunday sermon, and it's happening all over the country today, goes something like this. Uh, Jesus came riding into Jerusalem. This is the story of Palm Sunday, if you're unfamiliar. He came riding into Jerusalem, and crowds, up to 10,000 people, are chanting, Hosanna, Lord save us. That's what Hosanna means. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they're all pumped. And then the typical sermon switches somewhere in the middle, and they say, this crowd, just a week later, five days later, will be chanting at that same Jesus, about that same Jesus, crucify him, crucify him. And then the pastor will say to the congregations all over our country this morning, this is happening, they'll say that crowd was so fickle and they served Jesus when it was easy and they didn't when it was hard and you were so fickle to knock it off and become a better person. That's kind of the typical Palm Sunday sermon. Now you've heard it, so we get move on because here's the deal about this entrance into Jerusalem, this, this, this triumphal entry as it's so often called. Here's what I believe about the triumphal entry. I think that we see it as a triumphal entry because that is what it says above the story in your Bible. If you open up your Bible uh, to Matthew 21, 1 through 11, Mark 11, 1 through 11, Luke 19, 28 through 44, John 12, 12 through 18, You'll see the story that results in Palm Sunday. And that story, in most of your Bibles, you're going to see right above it, the triumphal entry. And then you'll read the story, and you go, yeah, that looks pretty triumphal. Not a word we use. Pretty exciting, pretty extravagant, pretty great. But, but here's, here's kind of what I think about the story. If you put it within the context of the world in which Jesus lived and the Bible as a whole, what I think it is actually is, is the not-so-triumphal entry, or the almost-triumphal entry. Let me just kind of give you the reason. First of all, uh, the Roman triumph was a big deal. That's a technical term, the Roman triumph. And when Jesus lived, when a Roman official or soldier or leader would come back from battle after having conquering a city or whatever, they had these crazy, elaborate celebrations. Let me read to you uh, uh, just about them really quickly. Uh, the Roman triumph was indeed something to behold. When a Roman general came back to Rome after a complete conquest of an enemy, he was welcomed home with an elaborate official parade. In the parade, he would exhibit his trophies of war and the illustrious prisoners he had captured. The victorious general rode in a golden chariot, priests burned incense in his honor, and the people shouted his name and praised him. The procession ended at the arena where the people 
were entertained by watching the captives fight with wild beasts. That was a Roman triumph. And here, if, as we'll get to the story, you'll see kind of Jesus comes in and, and it's pretty good. People are yelling and stuff, but it's not quite like that. Now, here's, here's the other deal about it. it is Jesus rides in on this donkey, the story that we'll look at that is the triumphal entry. He rides into town, into Jerusalem during Passover. It's one of the big Jewish uh, holidays, big Jewish festivals, something that I'm celebrating tomorrow with somebody in our church and looking forward to it. And so he rides into town uh, when just about everybody else that's Jewish is also coming into Jerusalem. And so because of that, the Roman leaders had put lots of people, soldiers, into position in order to prevent an uprising. They were oppressing the Jewish people at the time, and they had power over them, and they knew that a lot of Jewish people uh, wanted to say, hey, we're not going to deal with this anymore. We're going to throw over the Roman government, and, and we'll set ourselves free, and we'll kill who we need to kill, and we'll do what we need to do. And so the Roman government would have brought in lots and lots of soldiers, and they would have had their eyes on everything. And so if a guy comes into town and is too triumphant, then, then what's going to happen is that person is going to be called in to have a meeting with one of the Roman police officers. He's going to be like, hey, dude, are you really claiming to be a king? I mean, is this really about you being a king? Because you seemed like, you know, with that whole entrance that, that you're, you're acting like you're kind of a big shot here and we only have one big shot. It's the emperor of our uh, land. And so do we need to, you know, kill you or throw you in jail? What needs to happen here? But the story doesn't go anything like that. In fact, when you read the story of the triumphal entry, nowhere in it is the Roman government, the Roman officials alarmed. They don't see any problem with this entrance that Jesus makes into the city of Jerusalem. And if it would have been as triumphal as our Bibles would like us to believe by the header, then they definitely would have been alarmed. But there's more. First of all, Jesus is going to, in this story we'll read here in a few minutes, he's going to ride in on a donkey. And Jesus does this on purpose. He says, hey, go get me a donkey. And his followers go get him a donkey. And he comes in. He is fulfilling prophecy, a prophecy out of the book of Zechariah in the Old Testament. And it's intentional. He's saying, I am the Messiah. But here's what's interesting. Donkeys are donkeys. Right? I mean, just think, I, I actually, uh, I gave a sermon to the youth group several years ago that I will post on my blog later today, that's in my plans, uh, about the donkeys of the Bible. And I listened to it to make sure that I didn't say anything too stupid or inappropriate or anything like that, uh, because I'm posting it on, on our website today. And I didn't, thankfully. Uh, but I spend way too long talking about how ridiculous donkeys are in this sermon. And, and, and it's interesting. I said this, and I, it still stands because I tested it out on people yesterday. You can't name or point to one real donkey that exists on the world today. Right? There's like an unimportant animal. You could talk about horses. You could talk about famous lions. You could talk about famous monkeys that have been in movies or whatever. But and you could talk about a famous elephant right here at our, our Portland Zoo. But you can't think of one donkey that's real. Not a cartoon, right? And then, if you think about the cartoons, donkeys are always portrayed as these stupid, dumb emo-ish animals, right? I mean, you got Eeyore, for example, and then uh, maybe most famously is Donkey in the movie Shrek, right? And he's stupid and he gets lucky. That's the only way he exists. And Shrek, this big, green, ugly guy that nobody wants to hang out with, doesn't even want Donkey as a friend. I mean, how low can you get on the totem pole? And in our world today and in the world at that time, a donkey was 
A donkey, right? And it wasn't, this is the big key, a horse. Because if somebody really wants to make an entrance, they always come in on a horse in that time. Today it might be a Ferrari. And here is, here is the deal about Jesus' entrance. He comes in on, on this lowly animal. And it's not an entrance. It's not the type of ride you take if you're trying to say, hey, this is all about the triumph. The type of ride you take when, yes, you're saying I'm fulfilling prophecy, but also when you're saying, look, this is, this is humble. In fact, I think the disciples, as they were going to get a donkey, would have been pretty confused. Like, a donkey? It says in the book of John, for the same story that we'll read here in a second, they didn't understand that Jesus, uh, what Jesus was doing, and probably that means that they didn't understand he was fulfilling these promises in the Old Testament. they got to be thinking, man, we thought you were a king. What are you getting a donkey for? Now, here, here's the other deal. Uh, if you read just right after the story, I mean, we sometimes we just rip stories out of context, right? And we would never do that to any other book, but we do it in the Bible. And so we have this Palm Sunday story, and we, we like to, to wave our palm branches and, and, and be excited. But, but here's this is just so weird, and it's something I had never thought about until preparing for this sermon. In Luke 19... Uh, you see the story of the triumphal entry, right? Uh, but at the end of it, in the same part of the story, we have verses 41 through 44 that Luke recorded for us. It's not recorded in any of the other uh, Palm Sunday passages in the Bible, but just listen to this. Now, here, here's the story. The, the triumphal entry is taking place, and then, kind of on the heels of it, but it may still be going on, this is what we read. As he approached Jerusalem, talking about Jesus, and saw the city, he wept over it. And said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. These days, the days will come when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Hosanna, Hosanna. He's crying. I mean, just think about this, right? I mean, like thousands of people yelling out, Hosanna, Hosanna. And then the guy that they're yelling at stops on his donkey, looks out over the city, breaks down and starts weeping, and then says, peace isn't coming. I mean, can you imagine like a surprise birthday party where somebody comes in, everybody else surprised, and the guy goes, oh, I'm so sad. It would not be so triumphal, would it? And this is what happens in the midst of the story. And then, in Mark 11, 11, which is kind of the heels of the passage we'll look at today, this is how the triumphal entry ends. It says that he went into the temple courts, he looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Sound like a huge event to you? Sounds kind of like a solemn day. Jesus cries, he's on a donkey, Looks around the temple and goes, hey guys, 12 of them at this point, so it dissipates pretty quickly, right? He goes, hey guys, it's time to go home. Here, here's the deal. I don't want to damper it too much because, uh, because it is Palm Sunday and I do think it's an exciting event. But I, I don't think that the event is what we've made it out to be. I don't think it's all joyful and all exuberance and all about the celebration of the people. In fact, I think it is closer to that of confusion in the crowd. We'll get to that in a minute. Now, here, here's the other deal, contextually, that's really important. 
Jesus, just a little bit before he enters Jerusalem, he resurrects a guy, brings him back from the dead named Lazarus. Now, this is kind of how it goes. Jesus is hanging out in one of the regions of of Israel. They kind of have like states, right? And he's in one of those regions. And he gets a message that his good friend, Lazarus, is really, really sick. And he says, okay. And he decides to stay in that region for two more days. And then, this is what we read in John eleven fourteen through 15. So then he told him plainly, talking to his disciples, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Jesus says, okay, he died, now we're going to go there, and uh, you kind of see a hint that he's going to do something miraculous, right? I mean, I'm glad that my good friend is dead, so that you may believe. He's going to raise him from the dead. And then this disciple that you're going to learn about next week, named Thomas, he said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. You see, Thomas says, we're going back to Judea, another region where Lazarus lives, and the enemies are so strong there of Jesus that if we go there, we will die. And it's cool that Thomas says, hey, I'm ready, I'm going, I'm willing to die with you, Jesus. But Thomas doesn't think, hey, we'll go back there, it'll be a giant celebration. Thomas says, I guess. We're going to go back there where we're all going to be killed because there's so many enemies of Jesus. Judea, where they were headed, is the same place that Jerusalem is in. Now listen to what happens after Jesus heals Lazarus. He goes back into town, he heals Lazarus, and then in John 11, 45 through 43, this is what we read. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, healing Lazarus, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. Then one of them named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than the whole nation perish. He did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation. And not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. So, from that day on, they plotted to take his life. Jesus goes into Judea. This is crazy. The Pharisees really didn't like Jesus. He raises a man from the dead. They get super angry about it. And they start to think, how is it that we can kill this man? Then, as the story goes, Jesus leaves that region, the region of Judea, Goes out, does a couple really cool things, uh, meets a guy named Zacchaeus that maybe you've sang a song about if you if you're ever in Sunday school, and heals some lepers and heals a couple blind guys, and then it's time for Passover. And Jesus starts heading towards Passover. But the situation is so volatile that the Pharisees, we read, are asking each other and talking about, and the crowds are talking about whether Jesus is even going to come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. They understand that the opposition is so great in Jerusalem that Jesus may just stay out of Judea, may stay out of Jerusalem, may not come to celebrate Passover there in the holy city because he knows that it could cost him his life. And this is the story that is taking place when Jesus comes into the city. I I don't really think that it's all triumphal and these people recognize, hey, this is the Messiah, this is our Savior, this is the guy that will save the whole world, and then a week later, they're going, or five days later, excuse me, they're going, hey, crucify him, crucify him. Instead, I think 
the kind of the overriding thing for most in the crowd is confusion. You see, there's two groups of people there. There's people who hate Jesus and want him to die. And then there's people that follow Jesus and understand that he is the promised one from the Old Testament who will save people and set things right. But I think those are the smallest groups. I think the majority of people in the crowd, in the story that is Palm Sunday, that is the triumphal entry, are confused. I think that most of them have come to Jerusalem for Passover. They've probably heard a little bit about Jesus. And now they're in this crowd, and they're looking at some of the religious leaders, and the religious leaders are going, hey, he's coming, let's kill him, let's figure out a way. Or at least they have that attitude and kind of that aura to them. And then there's a whole bunch of other people, many who are walking behind Jesus, actually following him into the city, going, hey, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And most of the people there are going, Is he the Messiah, the Savior of the world, or is he really, really bad? I mean, is he a guy that we should hate and jeer and throw things at him, or is he a guy that we should lay palm branches down for as he enters into this city? I think that the people are hearing things like, hey, this guy raised somebody from the dead. Like, oh, cool. And they're hearing things like, hey, he just healed a couple blind men. And hey, this is the most loving person in the world. But they're also hearing things like, hey, this guy doesn't follow the traditions of our country. Hey, this guy doesn't obey the Sabbath rules of the Old Testament. Hey, this guy doesn't show much respect to the people that we call our religious leaders. So they're kind of caught in the crossfire. And they're wondering, what do we do? But here, here's the other thing about this crowd. They are there in the city of Jerusalem for Passover. And Passover is a time of expectation for the Jewish people. And so I believe that these thousands and thousands of people have descended upon this city with an, with an air of expectation. Something good might happen. Maybe this is the year where God sends somebody to save us. Maybe this is the year where God comes in human form and He, he rescues us and He sets us free. Maybe this is the year. And so they side with the people who are following Jesus and not really knowing much about Jesus, not really understanding who He is. They just start to chant what the crowd is chanting and they say, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, hoping beyond all hope that Jesus is the one that they have been waiting for. I think that is where the crowd is at. Let me read you the story. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the villages ahead of you and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it and we'll send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying the colt? They answered, as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the ground while others spread branches they had cut in the fields, hence Palm Sunday, Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. So there's the story. Here's what I think maybe 
the point is of this story. I don't think the point that we should gather from this story is, is hey, they love Jesus. Five days later, they hate Jesus. Don't be fickle. Serve Jesus when it's hard and when it's easy. This is what I think is really at the heart of this story. I think that the people there who are kind of caught up in this confusion and hoping that Jesus will be their Savior don't understand what it means for Jesus to be the Savior. There's two things that they say that's recorded here. One recorded here in the book of Mark and not recorded anywhere else. Uh, and, and the other one I'll get to in a second. But the first one is that these people here are recorded as saying, this or here comes somebody in the line of David. They say, blessed is he who comes in the line of David. And, and David, if you don't know David, he was a king of Israel. And he was the king of Israel. He was the guy who was king when Israel had everything going for it. The nation was rich. The nation was powerful. The nation had no enemy that really mattered to them because they could conquer anybody. It was a, just a military, uh, a leading military amongst everybody in the entire world. And so the people had this expectation, a biblical expectation, that someday God would send somebody in the line of David to set up a kingdom. And so here's what I think when they cry that out, they're looking for. They're looking for somebody who's going to set them free from the Roman oppression that they're facing. They're looking for somebody who's going to make it so they don't have to listen to this other country anymore, but they can be their own country. They're looking for somebody who's going to make it so that they are prosperous and happy and, and, and they are going to rise to the top again. That is what they are looking for. And here's the other thing. It's very similar. They quote Psalm 118. That's where Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord comes from. And let me just read you a few verses from Psalm 118 because uh, if you've been around church for a while, then, then there's many verses in Psalm 118 that you would recognize, even though if I said, hey, name a verse in Psalm 118, even if you've been in the church for a long time, you would have no idea. For example, Psalm 118.1, Give thanks to the Lord for He is good, His love endures forever. We sing that all the time, right? I think that's in 12 different songs. Um, Psalm 118.22, The stone the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. That's a, a verse that's quoted multiple times in the New Testament about Jesus. Psalm 118.25, Lord, save us which is the translation of Hosanna. That's what Hosanna means. And then Psalm 118, 26, blesses he who comes in the name of the Lord, which is exactly what the people say as Jesus enters into Jerusalem. Now, here's what I think. Here's, here's really kind of the, the deal. Uh, the, the Jewish people, when they quoted a psalm, they knew what was going on in all the psalms. They, they, they grew up studying Scripture in ways that I don't think we can even fathom or imagine given how biblically, uh, biblically unintelligent we have become even in the church today. Uh, so when these people quoted part of a psalm, they're thinking about all of the psalm. And let me just read you one more verse from that psalm. Psalm 118.25 says this, Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. I think as the crowd in all of their confusion cries out to Jesus, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of our father David. I think what they're looking for is two things. They're looking for a man who will save them and a man who will grant them success. I think they're looking for a person who will set them free from their oppression, who will allow them to have food. We saw that uh, in abundance. Who will make them rich again who will make them happy again, 
who will give them all of the desires of their heart. They're saying, Lord, keep us safe. And Lord, make us abundant. And here's the deal. This is the same cry of our hearts today, is it not? Is that not the same cry of our hearts today? We say, God, just keep me safe. Save me. Make me prosperous. Make me abundant. We don't use those words often, right? It sounds something like this. Jesus, let me be healthy. Let me not get sick. Let me have food to eat. Let me keep my job. Let my family be safe. And, hey God, if I could throw in something else, if I could just wish for something else in my life, if you're not somebody who prays, God, could you make it so that I have lots of money and I have a really good job and I have a nicer car? And can you make it so that people like me more and that my kids are super successful in school? And can you make it so that, that I'm not just, you know, surviving, but that I'm thriving? And I think that our cries are just like that of the crowds that day to Jesus. And I think as Jesus looks out over the city, and he weeps, as I talked about a minute ago. I think he weeps because he recognizes that they're looking for safety and abundance in a physical sense. And he is there to bring it in a spiritual sense. And here's what I think we need to remember on this Palm Sunday. If you are looking for a Jesus that's going to, to keep you safe, and a Jesus who is going to make you prosperous, then you are looking for a false Jesus. Nowhere in the Bible does Jesus promise that in this life you will be safe or prosperous because you choose to follow Him. And I think that what happens is there is just thousands and thousands, maybe millions of people who every Sunday morning get together and they're looking for the same Jesus that these people were looking for. They're looking for a Jesus who is going to make them safe and a Jesus who is going to make them happy. Jesus, save us. Jesus, make us prosperous. And those people during the rest of the week, maybe some of you fall into this category, they go, hey, well, this week I don't need to serve Jesus because I'm just in this to be happy and be safe. You see, this crowd isn't fickle. This crowd is not truly following the real Jesus. They don't truly understand the truth of what Jesus is coming into Jerusalem to do. And it is my hope that we won't just be people who are caught up in the confusion and go, yeah, happiness and, and, and safety sound good, so Hosanna, you know? I mean, yeah, I, I like you, Jesus, because I want safety and I want happiness. Who doesn't? So Jesus, you know? And if somebody else can give it to me, I'll follow them too. But on Palm Sunday, I think we need to recognize not the joyous cries of the crowd, but the sad tears of Jesus. Because he recognizes that that crowd isn't there to follow him. They're there to get something from him that he is not going to offer. And I hope that you know, maybe you don't, that, that when this life is over, Jesus will give us the safety that we long for and the happiness that we desire. But let me just be so honest with you today about this Christianity thing. In no way does it mean that you're going to live longer or not get sick or have kids that are protected every day. And in no way does it mean that you're going to make more money 
or be more prosperous or have more fun. It's not what Christianity is about in this life. Think about people all over our all over our world right now this morning. And we love to forget about this, but they are being beaten for their faith. They're being beaten and they are thinking about the fact that they might be killed because they decided to give their lives to Jesus. But what they know, and what sometimes we're so quick to forget, is that Christianity, this following of Jesus, is not about safety, prosperity in this life. It's about the fact that Jesus offers us that in the next life. And so as we celebrate Palm Sunday today and we think about the confusion of the crowd, I hope that it will draw us to a place where we ask ourselves on a very deep level, am I in this to be a real follower of Jesus? Am I in this because I know that I'm a sinner and that Jesus, through his death five days later, offered me salvation from that sin? And He is the God of the universe who deserves my praise no matter what? Are we in this because in some weird way we think that it's going to make us safer, more prosperous? I hope that the answer for you is the former and not the latter, but I I fear, because you're American Christians, that for many of you, and it might take different forms, even you in my church that I love, have it backwards. And you cry out, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us on Sundays because you look at Jesus as this person who just makes you feel better. But the Jesus of the Bible, the Jesus who comes into Jerusalem is not there to overthrow the military. He's not there for that. He's not there to bring more food, to bring more money. He's there to save people from sin. And when we realize that truth, I believe we follow Him, even to death. And so this morning, I think we always fall into we always fall into two categories. There are those of you here who have just got so far with Jesus, and you're in the crowd, right? And 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 you might have sang along even this morning, but you're just the crowd, and you're like, "Whoa, it sounds good." I mean, I like this idea of Jesus. I'm not going to give much to it, but but I like the idea of it because it's kind of socially acceptable, at least, you know, in, in the suburban area that we live. And, and so, yeah, I'm in this thing, you know, and I'll say some prayers at night and, hey, Jesus, you know, make it so that I'm a little happier and take away this pain that I have and make my family feel better and all that stuff. I think some of you fall into that crowd, and here's the deal. When Jesus takes away the safety and when Jesus takes away the prosperity, You'll no longer follow him. You're not a real Christian. And there's others of us in this room who are real Christians. And we're not in the crowd. We're followers of Jesus. And this morning, I just want to encourage you. This is what I want to encourage you. That, that you may feel like Jesus isn't doing his job. You may go, and I think this is how the disciples felt on the Friday of this week. You may go, he's not doing this right he isn't, he isn't bringing what I need and I'm in pain here and this is difficult. And can he see that my family is struggling? Can he see that, that I, I don't have a job? Can he see that, that I'm sick and I don't want to be dealing with this anymore? Can he see these things? What, Jesus, what are you doing to even care about me? And I know that the Jesus who came into Jerusalem 
is up there with the same attitude today saying, Hey, I didn't come to make it all better on this earth, but I did come to be your Savior so that you could have eternity with me in holy perfection in heaven. And I just want to give you that encouragement this morning. We're going to do communion here. We're going to come up even before the band comes up. And what I want you to remember, if you take this with us today, is that, and I said this last year on Palm Sunday, I listened to my sermon because uh, I wanted to make sure I didn't say the exact same thing. Uh, What I want you to remember about Palm Sunday this morning is that when Jesus comes into Jerusalem, And everybody is hailing him as king. Yeah, it was great and it's cool and it's fun and all of that. But the truth is that Jesus was riding into Jerusalem not to throw out the Romans, not to make everything safer and happier, but to save people from their sins. And Jesus, even as the people were yelling out, Hosanna, save us, didn't go, yeah, I'm kind of big time. Let me zap some Romans dead. continued to march into a city that he knew had so many people in opposition to him that they would brutally beat him and kill him. He knew he was walking himself into harm's way, and he did it anyway in order to save you. And so will you come forward, grab the bread and the cup today, and remember as a church that we, even on Palm Sunday, celebrate what Jesus really did and not what sometimes we want him to do. Come forward, please. Will you take with me, if you haven't, and take the bread and remember Jesus broke his body and uh, take the cup and remember that Jesus spilled his blood to save you from your sins. Lord, I thank you so much that you didn't come to do what we always want you to do, but you came to offer us true and real and right salvation. Lord, you know that I, I sometimes think that I just question, what if you would have thrown God out the Romans and brought a bunch of money to the nation of Israel? It would have lasted for those people's lifetimes. But what you did, God, lasts forever for those who choose to receive the gift of salvation that you offered on the cross and choose to give their life to you. And so I thank you that you weren't short-sighted, that you didn't give in to our whims as human beings, but, Lord, that you that you always have our true interest in life. And I pray, Lord, for us in this room right now, and I just ask that, Lord, I know we all deal with things, and we all have moments where we just are like, God, just please make me safe, make me feel better, make me prosperous. And, and I pray, God, right now that that we would remember that you have offered us something so much better. And God, uh, I pray that we would remember in those difficult times of life that God you always have our best interest in mind and sometimes it may not feel that way it may not may not all get fixed the way that we want it to but God you always have our best interest in mind and that's that's an amazing promise and so remind us of that this morning God anybody who doesn't know true salvation in this room and and they're just a part of the crowd God just thinking, man, it's kind of cool, whatever. I, I pray that they would give their lives to you. I pray that they would just give themselves to you wholeheartedly and recognize, God, that, that it isn't just about a better life. It's about a better eternity. 
that's when we're really drawn to you, God. Love you, Jesus. I pray that you would be worshipped as we sing these last two songs. You'd be worshipped as we go through our lives serving you. I ask these things because you chose to come into Jerusalem, Lord, and not just make people happy and satisfied, but to genuinely save them. I'm a product of that, Lord. Amen.